You're listening to AM 1280 and 97.5 FM The Zone. Happy Sunday morning, listeners. This is Cultural Conversations with Christy and Christian, broadcasting to Provo, Salt Lake City, Orem, and Colville. You can tell that my introduction is a little discombobulated this week, and it's because I am missing my co-pilot, Christy. I'm flying this ship solo into the crazy spooky halloween season but not solo uh i have a my are you my mr sulu alex is that sort of what you are i mean yeah i i, I can go as so uh, as sulu okay you know, kind of piloting this thing yeah i mean that's the original that's the original star trek given our generational differences i mean star trek who was who was the sulu version of star trek next generation which is also probably again too old for you but i'm trying to think who was the navigator i, I can't remember his name off the top of my head i want to say it was the guy that lavar burton played oh um well no he was the chief engineer but data wasn't it was data right oh data yeah might, brett spiner been, yeah. i think data was data might have been data brett spiner i think was the uh he was the guy because he was an android or whatever a cyborg android super thing was but yeah so you're sort of like the data although to be fair data was a little more tan than you uh, yeah he's you know a little bit more you know interesting of a complexion than what i've got i'm I'm, I'm kind of pasty. Don't go outside That's much. True. You're more like a lore. You've got the emotion of lore, but yeah, yeah, you're still pretty white. Uh, thank you so much for being here, Alex, because I would not want to pilot this ship alone. Uh, you know, uh, tip of the cap to Christy, who has to work today, but we'll be getting her in uh, for the music do's and do nots later. So I apologize. So I'm a little discombobulated. Also, tis the Halloween season. We just had a full moon the other day. Uh, we've had some freezes. Everything is changing. The topsy turvy world uh and so in the spirit and you will see why this is a joke alex in the spirit of the season change uh, i have my dear friend rich romney here to talk a little bit about spirits of the season but not so much the poltergeist 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 type spirits Woo, that's a tough one to say but more of the type that you can potentially imbibe rich how are you doing I am good. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. You know, we do a couple of different uh, spirits shows a year, as it were. Uh, we always do one around the holidays where we talk about nogs. But I was just thinking, you know, uh, with the weather changing, um, you know, it'd be a good time to think about things that can warm you from the inside out. We can talk a little bit about food that perhaps you can cook and uh, tis the center of tailgating season. So, you know, what makes a good side of beef and all the various things to put into your body on this, the witching holiday season so thank you hey thank you for having me on so um i want to revisit a topic from last year and so neither uh neither of the two of you was here but we once upon a time we had a producer named talon and so on this exact same show last year uh talon was an aspiring young man and said that he had, he was worried about dating during the during the the holiday season the by holiday i mean halloween because women would ask you out on dates and then you would pay for their corn mazes or their haunted house fees and then they would never call you back and so both of you are are are, are native utah guys is that a thing that happens do women use you for admission into hay rides and corn mazes and haunted houses and then just never call you back because i grew up in minnesota and that just wasn't a thing so i'm curious if your experience was similar to poor talons because he got no end of grief uh, for saying those words immortalized on the radio, but I want to give him a chance to dig out from whatever that is. Uh, in my experience, yeah, that happens 
a, a you know, at least 50% of the time, I would say. Women use you for haunted house admission and then don't yeah. call you back? Which, I mean, you know, like, I can't really be upset about it in October because ghosting is festive, I guess. Oh, but, uh, zing! You know, I like I, that. I like that. That's why you're a millennial. Thank you, Alex. <laughs> so, hmm, I like the double down on the ghosting. So, Richard, a slightly different gender. Did that happen to you when you were a youth? Did, did ladies line up to, to say, hey, buy my haunted house, and then just you never see them again? They sp- got spirited away? Uh, well, thank you for calling me old, but no, I've never been used that way. Mm. Well, so you're still young enough to for that to be mm-hmm. to be used. So, um, so Rich, the season. So, first things first. Uh, Rich Romney, you are the general manager at Post Office Place. Uh, you've been the manager at Takashi. Uh, two of my favorite places in Salt Lake, and our regular listeners will know that I talk about them frequently. Takashi, arguably one of the top restaurants in the state of Utah. I don't want to call it a sushi restaurant, but a sushi plus other things. Japanese fare. Um, a year and a half ago, you guys decided to open a bar that uh, sort of specialized in sort of Jap- Japanese and Peruvian and, and other things, uh, both on Market Street. Uh, so for those of you who don't know where Market Street is, it is between Main and West Temple and 300 South and 400 South, downtown Salt Lake, uh, very close to the Market Street Grill, just a nudge to the east. Um, so tell us a little bit, first things first, about, you know, I mean, more than that background that I just gave a summary on and your two locations, and then we'll roll from there. On uh, my background? Yeah. Uh, well, I grew up in a family that loved food, food and travel. Um, so my whole life I've been seeking out food anywhere I can go. Um, one of the first things I fell in love with as far as food outside of my normal food you'd find here in Utah was sushi. My dad used to take me down to Kyoto Another great sushi restaurant. Oh, I th- I, thank goodness you meant the restaurant. I thought you perhaps you meant the city. Uh, that would have been nice, but no. Um, so since then, I, I've had a love for sushi. So when I had the opportunity to work at Takashi uh, 14 years ago, I jumped at it, and that was a server at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and just loved working there, loved the family, the Gibos that own it, mm-hmm. and eventually became the general manager of Takashi about eight years ago, eight or nine years ago. Um, and then was lucky enough to have a big hand in, in sort of developing the concept for our new bar, new-ish bar, uh, Post Office Place, as you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, which is located right next door to Takashi. Um, but yeah, just grew up loving food, still love it. Uh, it's a big focus of my life. And, and mine, too. We talk about, uh, and we'll get to sort of those segments about how one can do the, a cultural trip around Salt Lake City. But um, growing up, uh, even thinking about a food forward family, what do you think is the, what is the, when I say Utah food, what is the legacy of Utah food? What do you, what are some of the stereotypes? What are some of the things that are the anchors of what our general listening audience, again, Salt Lake City, Provo, Orem, and Colville, sort of bring to the table, as it were, as in terms of a, of a food legacy? For Utah? Yeah. Uh, well, my experience was mostly meat and potatoes. Mm-hmm. Um the stereotypes would be the funeral potatoes, uh, a lot of casserole dishes, and of course, Jello. Okay, so growing up in Minnesota, and perhaps for some of those listeners who are new, uh, funeral potatoes was a term that I heard. But what exactly? What is a funeral potato? Uh, you know, I've never made them, but it's sort of a shredded potato dish. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of resembles hash browns, but uh, a little more substance to it. Mm-hmm. Millennial Alex was uh, was funeral potatoes part of your upbringing in uh, in in Cosmopolitan Murray. Oh, absolutely! It's a Utah staple. Okay, so what 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 is funeral potatoes in in your family? 
Uh, it's kind of, you know, you've got the shredded potato, okay, almost so like a hash brown that's kind of put in like a really cheesy mixture. Oh, so it's know. got the cheese, kind of like an o- But so how does it differ from an au gratin, I guess? That's what I grew up with. It's, it was sort of like a scalloped potato with an au gratin. But yeah. I think it's the cut, it, the shred versus the, the scalloped mm, cut. Interesting. And so what is it like, in, in, like? Let's put on our Utah pride here, guys. Like I, I remember th- my first introduction to really thinking about the culture of Utah was when I was, I mean, admittedly, I was, I don't know how old I was, um, a young adult. And I watched the Olympics here. And I remember Mary Carrillo doing a whole segment on fry sauce. So when I moved here from Seattle six years ago, my, my culinary thoughts about the state of Utah was fry sauce. So, so like, what is that? What, I mean, defend your state. What do the hash browns do versus the scalp potato? Why do we, why do we hash the brown? Why do we cut the potato in a different way? And why does that make Utah superior to all of those other places that are sucky with their potatoes or gratin? Let's plant the flag. Let's, let's get some controversy. I would say it's the amount of cheese in there. Ooh. Are we, are we cheesier? Very cheesy. So is, so is this contest going to be between us and Wisconsin? Like, we don't even have to... I mean, Nebraska, scalloped potatoes, who cares? Like, we're throwing down against the Green Bay Packers. Are we doing, like, a Utes Packers? Well, I guess that would be Badgers. A Utes Badgers kind of thing about who's got the cheesiest of the potatoes, whether it's a scalp or a hash brown? Yeah, we'll take them on. Alex? Yeah, I think, you know, we'll go toe-to-toe with them. Because, like, I, I think that's a really good point that I hadn't considered before, but by, you know, shredding the potato, it allows... For more cheese to kind of intermingle you know you get more coverage that way with mm. it and so there's a higher cheese to potato ratio okay so I, you know i'm on i i think that's what sets us apart and what makes us better so you know one of the good secrets to a good fry is that you you blanch it in the oil once right and then because it converts some of the starches and then you cook it again you gotta you gotta cook a good french fry twice to get a good crispy potato where was i going with this um wisconsin Oh, I know why. So I would think, and this is sort of uh, like uh, elementary school physics, that the hash brown would have more surface area for the cheese to bind to. But I'm not a food scientist. So does the starch in the potato bind with the, the protein in the cheese better in a way that where it's sort of like you do get more of that? Like, does it hold the cheese better? Yeah, I think so. Nice. Yeah, it's all about the cheese mingle. Ooh, the cheese mingle. Wasn't that a bar that used to be down on Pierpont once upon a time, the cheese mingle? I wish it were. Ah, yeah. Or is that just the melting pot with a a bunch of uh, young people coming after their high school prom? Is that the cheese mingle? Speaking of your next door neighbors. Right. Uh, I'm very fond, ooh, of everything you do on your street. Nothing. Okay. Uh, so how did a how did a young how did a young boy who grew up in a culture of you know funeral potatoes meat potatoes end up with something um, that might be as yeah, I, I hate to say intimidating but I I would like to think growing up in Minnesota like I didn't get sushi until I was like twenty five or twenty six I don't even necessarily know the first time I had a raw oyster but I was I was kind of a lot of that stuff is kind of intimidating and it's not culturally accessibly on hand like how did you convert from the sort of the the meat and potatoes side to really sort of digging into you know, Japanese culture, you were the general manager of Takashi. Um, we know it's more than fish, and they've got a lot of other things t- there, too. But also sort of a post office place where you throw in a little bit of Peruvian culture. Like, how does how how does that happen? Uh, for me, I think it was the traveling. Uh, I grew up traveling. My my grandfather sort of instilled that in all of us, the, the importance of traveling and experiencing other cultures all around the world. Um, and then 
we lived in the neighborhood of Kyoto restaurant, so that was a convenient place for us to go. Okay, so uh, I'm, I'm going to try to remember Kyoto's on 13th South and 9th East, give or take? Uh, 11th East. 11th East. South, yeah. Third, okay. Yeah, a beautiful, a beautiful uh, chunk of town, um, not Hawthorne. What was your elementary school? Elementary was Bonneville. Uh, Bonneville. The Bonneville Braves? Uh, the Bonneville Bob. Cats, I Bob believe. Cats. I feel like elementary school, well, actually Utah Utes, uh, you know, people like alliteration, don't they, from their educational we institutions? Do, yeah. Makes it easy. Um, so, so you were a server, um, so you had to be able to accurately, I mean, taste the dishes, accurately articulate that. How does that transition then from, I mean, even the travel, being a server, how does that transition to being a manager and constructing menus? Did you work the kitchen too? Um uh, no, no experience in the kitchen there. Uh, I've worked in other kitchens, but um, it was a, it was just a long process of working there and loving the food enough, and then uh, the opportunity arose to become the manager, and I jumped at it. You're Mr. Manager. I'm Mr. Manager. There's always money in the banana stand. Right. There's always that's, that's money. one of our cocktails actually in the banana stand at the post office. Okay, so actually, so let's talk a little bit. First things first. Let's talk a little bit about so your roots in and Tamara and Takashi Gibo, great people. I mean, Takashi has been. I don't know how many of those little uh, plates you guys have won as restaurant of the year from Salt Lake Magazine. More plates uh, than you can shake a stick of plates at, a plate of sticks at. Um, so talk a little bit about the history of Takashi and what Takashi offers, first things first. And we'll jump into post office after that. Uh, well, real quickly, uh, a history of Takashi himself is he's Japanese, born in Okinawa, Japan, and then was raised in Peru. Uh, so even at Takashi, we have a bit of Peruvian fusion in his menu. And then, as you mentioned previously at the post office place, we brought out more of that Peruvian background of his. Uh, but he opened his restaurant uh, just over 15 years ago, uh, actually almost 16 years, 15 and a half years ago now, um, opened Takashi and then uh, opened Post Office Place a year and a half ago. So last time I was uh, chatting with you, um, I feel like when we talk about Takashi that you, I don't bridle or you push back a little bit against the term sushi restaurant. I mean, you very much, you very much said like, "Hey, have you? What have you had off of our hot menu? Like, we're more than just a place to get raw fish. Like, you could have a an entire you know, an entire meat night. You can, yeah. I always encourage our regular customers who come for the sushi uh, to to come have dinner on a night where they're not necessarily looking for sushi, where they're looking for more of a, a cooked dinner, I guess you could say. Uh, but yeah, you're right. Our our kitchen menu at Takashi I think is every bit as amazing as the sushi um, Takashi's just as talented in the kitchen as he is on the sushi bar um, but we have a lot of offerings from the kitchen that I think even some of them people don't realize we have things like lamb shank uh, barbecue pork ribs uh, flank steak things like that that does not sound like the thing that I think of when I think of a sushi restaurant uh, you're listening to AM 1280 and 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture. We are going to be talking a little bit of culinary, and we're going to move into a little bit of spirits. Uh, just setting the table, as it were, uh, with a little talk. Uh, Rich Romney is here. He was the general manager of Takashi and now Post Office Place, uh, some of the staple restaurants that you hear a lot about on our radio show if you're a regular listener. Uh, okay, so fast forward. So Takashi, 17 years, that's what you said? 15 and a half F- 15 years. 15 and a half years. Practically. He doesn't look a day over 17. Um, 
so good sushi, solid meat course. Um, what was the inspiration to what was the inspiration to open Post Office Place and and what you know why Post Office Place? What does it do? How is it different? What's the what's the the mission uh, there? Uh, well, we'd always had our eyes on the space next to us. Um, it's a smaller space, about half the size of Takashi. And for years, uh, we talked about opening a bar slash restaurant there to accompany or to complement Takashi. Uh, we often are on fairly long waits at Takashi, uh, and we wanted to create a space to for people while they're waiting to go and have a, a great drink and, and great food um, to kind of complete that experience of coming down to Takashi. But we also wanted to be to create a place that stood on its own. Uh, we didn't necessarily want to just be Takashi's waiting room. Um, so we, we spent a lot of time and did a lot of research and development and created a menu that I think it stands on its own and has a lot to offer on by itself. Uh, if you have a singular favorite, like you go in, our radio listeners, and it's like, hey, I'm going to the post office place and I got a signature dish. What is that? Uh, currently, it would be our lamb tartare. Um, our chef, Brendan Kawakami, is doing some amazing stuff where we have a lot of new dishes coming. And our mission from the beginning was to have a menu that evolved and changed frequently. Um, so, yeah, I'd say currently my favorite's the lamb tartare. Um, I think customers' favorites would be some of our ceviches. Uh, and then definitely the California roll, which is California roll in quotes. It's mm-hmm. not a sushi roll. It's it's the we took the flavors of a traditional California roll and turned it into a slider with real king crab. Oh, nice. So, uh, so let's deconstruct a couple of those words. So, when you say a traditional California roll, you're thinking crab and avocado are sort of the anchors of a of a California roll. Yeah, imitation crab and okay. the traditional. Yeah. Is it really? It's really it's imitation crab, which is actually pollock, right? Uh, generally, yeah. Mm, which yeah. is a type of fish. Boo. Imitation crab. I mean, no, it's fine. Uh, Pollock is is great. Who am I to cast aspersions? Uh, So a ceviche is raw fish that's cured in an acid. So it could be like a lime juice, lemon juice, right? Usually a citrus? Uh, Generally citrus, but there's a lot of options out there. Uh, But yeah, ceviche would be a chopped fish. Uh, So as as opposed to a tiradito, which we also sell. Okay, um, you're going to have to describe what a tiradito is. So they're both similar. They're both generally raw fish mm-hmm. in, in an acidic sauce. Uh, ceviche is when the fish is chopped, and tiradito is when the fish is sliced more like oh. Japanese sashimi, which is, an, which, which is a great example of the Japanese influence in Peru. And then, um, so tartar, a lamb tartar, a steak tartar, that just in essence means chopped and raw. It does. Okay. So I actually want to go, I want to sort of, uh, so, you know, we're sports radio. And so we, we love, you know, we've got tailgaters, we've got people uh, who do like a variety of foods, but I kind of want to unpack one of these terms. Let's talk about the term raw, right? Uh, So is like, and and let's move beyond just what, uh, you know, Takashi and post office place do. But if something is cured is it still raw if something is salted is it still raw is a pastrami are, are what does raw actually mean and how are there different ways to preserve food if i say i'm going to go in and take a bite of raw fish versus something like uh ceviche where it's cured or a salt cured meat or whatever they're or smoked for that matter when does something stop being raw and where does the curing process sort of come in 
Well, it would be varying levels of raw, I would say. So with the ceviche, you throw the sauce on and it begins to cure. Um, there's the, a couple different methods to it. Okay, and, and so the curing process, I mean, whether it's uh, a vegetable or an animal, uh, organic material at some point when life ceases to exist, whether you chop a stick of celery or you butcher a whatever it happens to be, uh, the aging of that protein happens right and so that can happen with either a bacteria or that can happen something in a curing process in essence um stops that bacterial growth right so cooking can do that so you can raise the temperature up to 160 degrees and whatever that happens to be or an acid or something can be or a salt can be introduced to create a, a an environment wherein the back that bacterial deterioration cannot happen is that a fair yeah that's very fair yeah oh yeah that can be to think i'm an art guy Oh, look, culinary. So anyways, um, where where were we, producer Alex? We were talking about curing. Oh, uh, so you've got an acid sort of thing, but then there's other forms of curing. Salt cure would be the main other type, yeah. And then uh, our good hunter folks uh, who like a good smoked things and all of our Wisconsin things, smoke does a similar thing too, right? Yeah, I, w- I would liken smoking more to cooking. Than curing. Um, and so what is the advantage of curing something in an acid versus cooking it? Um, well, it's flavor primarily. I mean, it's, it's preference of flavor. So um, some things we, we prefer the flavor of, of a slightly cured, say, take a fish. Mm-hmm. Um, the way we do it is we put the sauce on the fish and then we serve it directly after so it, it is curing as it's on your plate um, so it is still has that freshness and, and flavor of raw mm-hmm. um, and the longer you let it sit there the more cured it's going to get so you guys are delivering a plate of science we are you're scientists mm-hmm. i'm blinded by your science you're listening to am 1280 and 97.5 fm the zone this is slc culture we are talking to rich romney about the uh some of the food culture specifically we're working with uh, takashi and post office place um so i was at your establishment the other day and we were starting to talk about the shift in seasonal drinks specifically um sakis but let's sort of pull this out and and there's a reason sort of tying into the tailgating but also into sort of this curing and smoking and all of that. Um, are there some of these flavors that you do and that you're conscious of that speak to a bit more of the summer palate? Like, I mean, again, I grew up in Minnesota. And so for me coming here in the summer, it's over a hundred degrees often, but it's pretty dry. Um, but the things that I sort of want to consume are very different than as winter is here. And I'm putting on a sweater and all of that, uh, are some of the ways that you think about curing and presenting or cooking these things specifically tied to sort of the environment that's around us. And, and, and I I don't know why, like demystify. Uh, Well, it's just, it's like you just explained it. It's as you enter the winter months, it's colder. You want something more comforting, something warmer generally. Um, during the summer, we want something brighter, more refreshing. Do you, do you, is that, given the fact that you have a restaurant that is sort of focused in, in generally sort of Japanese style stuff, is that, um, is that sort of a pan cultural thing? Or do you think that that's sort of particular to our sort of American Western 
something that we are acculturated to. If we go to uh, if we go to other cultures for the winter or the summer, are they sort of doing that bright citrus stuff too? Is that sort of a universal human thing, or are they picking up some of the? Are they all? Uh, are they down there in hot climes, swilling single malt, uh, a scotch with a with a with a lamb shank? Uh, no, I think I think around the world you'd find people transitioning with the seasons. Um, I think Salt Lake, for example, we have drastic changes between our seasons where a lot of the world doesn't have quite as drastic. Um, so it's it's very obvious what a summer menu versus a winter menu. Okay. So I want to give um, I want to give our listeners a little bit of a challenge. I mean, I would love them to come down to Post Office Place um, and you know try a ceviche. But the concept, I mean, some of this stuff with the the curing with pickling and that is that something that uh, one of our our listeners and keep in mind we are again sports fans uh, that they there's there a project like a culinary project that would be a stepping stone that they could try at home something simple that they could cure or pickle or whatever and how would they do that and and how would that sort of transition them into into thinking about uh, different types of recipes or different things that they could do at home well I think the easiest at home method would be a simple pickle um, so taking your favorite vegetable and putting it in uh, a bowl or a pan of vinegar and spices and flavors that you like and letting it sit and and watching it cure so you don't you don't have to you literally don't have to boil anything you just have to throw things in a bowl uh there's different methods of pickling but for a quick pickle especially you can just throw it in a bowl and even eat it later that day Hmm. so this could be an incredible party trick right Right. Uh, are there some? So let's say that you know I want to impress. Uh, you know, I'm I'm having Alex over. Millennials, uh, one, I am told they like experiences. Like you like a good experience. We went through this before, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they like a good experience, and so you could have an experiential pickle thing where you throw stuff in. Are there some? I mean, what makes a good? Uh, why why are you pickling cucumbers? And uh, why like what things? Is that just a, a cultural overlay? Or are there some vegetables or fruits things that are better for your first? time home pickler versus things that they should try to avoid should we dash out and get some okra is okra the the key to good pickling uh pickled okra is one of my favorite pickles Mm. but you can pickle almost anything uh i haven't found many things that you can't pickle well i okay so so let's think about this uh millennial alex um okay rich how long do i need to pickle something before i can serve it like minimum if i'm having a pickle party uh, you could pickle sliced cucumbers in an hour. Sliced cucumbers in an hour. Okay, do you think that your generation, uh, starting with sliced cucumbers, that you need an hour, and we could go upwards of various other vegetables, are you willing to commit an hour to a homemade pickling party? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Um, and how, like, let's let's walk let's walk through this party. I mean, so you're going to need some spices. Uh, dill is the one that, like, I think of dill pickles. Uh, what else does one pickle? What, what, Alex, what would you pickle with? Just without even Rich's professional opinion, and you want to have a pickle party, and you want to pickle some stuff. Some... Uh, I would probably like to experiment with a little bit of garlic. Mm-hmm. Throw that in there, and then maybe, like, some jalapenos or habaneros or something just to give it a little extra kick. Hmm. So are you going to go and slice up some fresh ones of those that you will then eat yourself later after the pickling process? Uh, I mean, that's always an option. But, you know, mostly I'd just be interested to see what they added to what we're pickling. Hmm. So we've got dill, we've got some garlic, we've got some peppers. Uh, what about something like, I mean, do your powdered spices, like a, does a cumin carry? Like, could you do a cumin pickle? Or does stuff like that that is a little bit too, like, I, wanna, I, I don't want I don't want to throw in some, like, smoked paprika if it's just going to float on the top and not do anything for me? I think it would add flavor. I, you know, I haven't pickled uh, using 
powdered spices before, but I think it would add flavor. I think part of the one fun thing you could try is trying different types of vinegars. Ooh. Um, that those will change the flavor drastically. Hmm. So, uh, um, so like, I mean, a cider. So, what do you got? I mean, you, cider vinegar, you're not gonna, champagne vinegar. You're not going to go with a straight white vinegar. That's for cleaning, right? Well, cleaning vinegar, yeah. But you can use a a, a white vinegar. Really? You could, yeah. Hmm. So that sounds like it would be uh, vinegary. I mean, yeah, that's probably the smartest thing that I've ever said on the radio. So, a cider vinegar. I didn't even realize there was a champagne vinegar. Balsam is balsamic going to carry? Is that a little too sweet? That's probably too sweet. But you could add it as a component to a to a pickle. Hmm. And so the thing about a vinegar is it's 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 an acid, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so does this do something different than like what what does a what does that do different than like a a lemon juice or something else does, or is it pretty much the same? Is it at this point is it a flavor thing, but the chemical process is pretty similar. Uh, I think it's very similar, but yeah, it would be a flavor thing. Okay, so we've uh, we have our pickling party with different spices bowls. I like the different types of vinegars. I feel like this is something they would do or should do at Caputo's. Hashtag Caputo's. You owe me a tiny royalty if you do this. Um, all right, how are we going to present a pickle party? I'm I'm going to have to think about. I don't. I don't. Presentation's not my forte when it comes to these kinds of things. I can tell so, by the like, t-shirt you're wearing yeah. today, that presentation. <laughs> I mean, but, uh, all right, I want to do a pickle party. So, Rich, um, hit me up with two different things here. So, we're doing a pickle party. What is a good spirit and or thing? Because you you're pretty acid forward here. What would be a good spirit to partner with a pickle party? We're doing pickles, something that goes with the acid of the pickles. Well, spirit specifically, I think, Pisco would work really well, which is one of our specialties down mm-hmm. at Post Office Place. Great. What it, so what it, for our listeners that don't know, what is a Pisco? It's a brandy. Ooh. Great, and, great brandy. Interesting. And so how does it differ than like, how does it differ from other brandies? Uh, it's the process that they use to make it. So uh, in Peru specifically, they distill to strength. They can't age it in anything that will alter the flavor. So they can mm. use still tanks or... Things like that. So if I was transitioning this into uh, like a tequila world, it would be more like a Blanco. So you're not getting the tannins or other things from an aging in a barrel. Yep. Okay. Uh, and so what is it? So the so the brandy style cuts against the acid? I would think so, yeah. yeah. You know, when I first thing I think of when I think about pickles is a Bloody Mary. But the thing about a Bloody Mary, and this maybe this is the Wisconsinite in me, you know, growing up is that, you know, the alcohol, I mean, really it's just a vehicle for tomato juice and bacon as near as I can mm-hmm. tell. Right. I mean, and some spices, you don't tend to taste and the vodka. Well, yeah, but you don't, do you usually taste the vodka? Depends on who makes your bloody Mary. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I guess so. Um, I've, you know, I've switched to the, is it the red snapper where it's the gin? Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, because there's a Bloody Maria, which is tequila. I think it's a red snapper is the one with the the gin to get a little bit more of the the spirit flavor. Uh, interesting side note. Uh, I am going back to Wisconsin this weekend. So when you're listening to this right now, because we break the fourth wall, I will literally it'll be Sunday morning in Wisconsin for me uh, for my grandmother's 90th birthday, and I'm almost positive that we are going to have an open Bloody Mary bar. 
wherein there will be sticks of bacon and a giant pile of cheese curds. So it's sort of like, you know, I have a nine-year-old son, so we talk, we go through physics all the time, and you have a glass of liquid, and everything that you put in the glass of liquid displaces everything else. It's kind of to the point where there literally isn't any liquid anymore, and what liquid in there is kind of vodka or gin, and then otherwise it's sort of like a weird cob meets Caesar salad at that point. But it is really, really good. Uh, okay, so we're going to have a pickling party. Um, let's talk about meats. So what is, uh, what's Wagyu beef? Is, is it just a marketing ploy? Uh, no, Wagyu beef is Japanese beef. Okay. Yeah. So it is specific. So it is imported. You can't have American Wagyu beef. You can. So they've, they've imported uh. the cows out of, or exported the cows out of Japan, and they are able to be raised, I think, anywhere in the world. So it's like a, it's a breed, sort of like a Guernsey or a Jersey or a whatever. So right. it's a particular type of breed. And so uh, I go in and I get your those those Wagyu bites. What are they technically called on the menu? I should know. The Wagyu Nikumaki? That, there you yeah. go. You couldn't have said it better myself. Um, so... So why why do we prize why do we, like and I think this is a good thing for our tailgaters who are beef people uh, and they're like why do we uh, I feel like Angus was the thing that we had for a long time and now we're sort of switching to Wagyu I mean why Wagyu versus Angus and what did Angus do and why should we care uh, with Wagyu it's primarily the marbling so it's it's the mix of fat with the lean meat in, is marbling good. Marbling's great. Okay, and and so you say it's the mix of the fat, but now I, I need you. I need you to expand on that. Like, why? So why is that good? Uh, because fat is where most of the flavor comes from, and uh, also keeps it very tender. So mm. when you look at a steak, the marbling is when the the fat, which is the lighter color, mm-hmm. is mixed in with with the leaner meat, the red meat, um, throughout the whole steak, as opposed to just kind of on the ends. Okay. Uh, so oh, actually, so I. I think I've got you. So when I was a kid, my parents uh, in, in 1982 or whatever, they would go down and whether it was a T-bone or whatever, and they would cook the steak. And as a kid, you get that big gristly chunk. That's what you're talking about. Like th- we don't want the gristly chunk. You want it mixed in with the, with the lean meat. It's, it's when uh, you get big chunks of the fat that typically people, some people don't love. Because <laughs> it's chewy. It is. And so why is fat when it is marbled in, why is that such a good thing? And why is it when it is in a giant chunk that we don't like it? Flavor, texture, like I don't know. It's both flavor and texture. Hmm. Okay. And this is another one of those meat things that I want to ask. Uh, I feel like pork belly sliders became a thing kind of around avocado toast and pork belly sliders. They're kind of like interesting culinary twins. What, I mean, what is, I mean, and for... I know this is going to sound blatantly obvious, and you can tell me, like, Christian, this is a blatantly obvious thing. Pork belly is literally from the, the stomach of the pig, right? Mm-hmm. Why is this caught on recently, and what were we doing with pork bellies for years before this became a thing? Well, pork belly, you know, is, is very similar to bacon, and I think everybody loves bacon. Yeah, well, yes, people who aren't communists mm-hmm. or vegetarians. Is that a synonym? Uh, in my book, usually, yeah. Yeah, okay. Uh, so, but what, so, so bacon is pork belly or no? Uh, I, I believe it's just different cuts of, of the belly meat. Okay. And so is this another, is this a marketing thing? Why, like, why, why do we use pork belly versus a pork shank? A hawk? It would be the fattiness. So again, it goes back to the, the difference between pork belly and bacon goes back to the curing conversation we were having. So bacon would be cured. 
Okay. Um, do you think, and I'm just spitballing here, uh, there's a study every day that says something is good or bad for you. For a long time, like, you know, coffee was good and then coffee was bad. You know, chocolate was good, chocolate was bad, fat is good, fat is bad. Do you think that we are coming out of a time where what we were told was bad, like, you know, some, some of the fats and some of that sort of stuff. Uh, we were in a margarine culture. We were in all of these sort of things. And now our understanding of food science and our understanding of health and all that has meant that some of these things that are perhaps fattier are actually opening up to us where before science, take that science, uh, kept us from having some tasty things. Well, I think the most important thing is getting, we're getting back to real food. Uh, versus, as you as you mentioned, science food or processed food. Well, you know, I, I don't want you to hate on science and processed food. At, I was, as a young man, I went to the Science Museum of Minnesota, and I think I had $10 that I worked very hard. I got like $2 a week for allowance. So I'd saved up like five weeks, and I got some astronaut ice cream and some tang, and it was so good. Like, they had like all sorts of other astronaut food that I couldn't afford. But I remember astronaut ice cream, and it was Neapolitan, and I didn't even like it, but I bought it. And it was like styrofoam. And it's one of my first childhood memories of going to a museum and being disappointed. Not that I'm saying you should be disappointed at museums as a person who runs museums, but also I'm saying that I have tremendous memories of science food. So uh, when can we get astronaut ice cream on the menu, Rich? Uh, never. No, but you do have... <laughs> mm-hmm. that, that, was a hard, that was a hard pass. But you do have um, jello... We, we, as a special, we did a special jello shot. So it was a tequila Paloma cocktail put back into the grapefruit peel and served as a wedge. Okay. Uh, I, I, what is a Paloma? A Paloma is a tequila cocktail, tequila and grapefruit, mm. grapefruit soda, generally. So for people who perhaps like a margarita, but might want something a little tartar. Tartar. Yeah, I mean, I, they're fairly similar levels of tartness. It would be mm. grapefruit versus lime, I think would be the flavor difference and then you poured it back into the rind and then you cut it and it sort of looked like orange wedges or well grapefruit wedges i guess more a little darker and it it was it was very fun uh so we talked a little bit about food though the uh season is changing um we you know we've had the mulled cider conversation and all of that what if you're thinking about a spirit for the spirit season that people might not normally think about uh could even be a simple mixed drink that they could make at home maybe they can get it at a post office place but they can get the standard ingredients at the dabc in their grocery store um what's something that is seasonal that you're thinking hmm the leaves are changing there's a nip in the air here's a nip for you well i think from what we offer uh one of our our main specialty in spirits would be japanese whiskey so that's the easy answer um something dark, something heavy, but I would go with an old-fashioned, which is one of the most simple cocktails to make at home. Okay, you're listening to AM 1280, 97.5 FM The Zone. This is SLC Culture. I am here with Richard Romney, who is the general manager of Post Office Place, and Takashi on Market Street in downtown Salt Lake City, and we are going to talk a little bit about a little old-fashioned conversation. We're going to throw the clock back, have an old-fashioned conversation. Um, that was a pun about an old-fashioned. No clocks here. So what's in an old-fashioned? It's essentially whiskey, sugar, and bitters. Okay. Very simple. So whiskey, I understand you can have Japanese whiskey, as you were talking about, which was brought to my attention by the fine movie Lost in Translation when Bill Murray said, for a good time, 
make it Suntory time. Uh, Club Canadian. Uh, bourbon is an American whiskey. Uh, Scotch is a whiskey. Jameson is a whiskey. Um, any one of those? Does a particular one work better for an old fashioned? I would say go with your preference. Uh, scotch doesn't lend itself as well to an old-fashioned, so bourbon and rye would be my first choices. Um, I prefer rye personally. It's a little bit spicier, pepperier, where mm. bourbon's a little sweeter. Okay. Uh, but in the Japanese whiskey world, they have offerings that kind of run the spectrum of, of whiskey. They have sweeter, more bur- corn-based, bourbon-y type whiskeys uh, all the way to scotch. Um, okay, so that, and then next ingredient, it's three ingredients, so we can't mess this up. Uh, sugar, I mean, is this just a simple CNH, just your standard sugar? Does it sugar in the raw? Um, uh, I prefer sugar in the raw. So the classic, uh, old fashioned, you would take a sugar cube and put it in the glass first and muddle that. Okay. Muddle, uh, muddle is basically squishing. You just have a club. Yeah. You, I, I, a I would squisher. call it smashing. So how, how, okay. All right, mister. Well, how is smashing different than squishing? Uh, it sounds better. Uh, Alex, do you prefer a smash or a squish? Uh, smash, it sounds a little bit more appetizing than a squish. I guess there's a reason why there's a smash burger and not a squish burger. I would definitely not eat at squish burger, but I do eat at smash burger. Okay, uh, point to Rich. Okay, so you're going to smash said things with some sort of kitchen club. Yeah, I mean, there there's a, a tool called a muddler, which is essentially a, a wooden mallet or, or a, a wooden... It's like rod, a little, I little guess. bat. Yeah. Like a tiny... It looks a lot like a little bat. Yeah, you know, like when you go to baseball games as a kid and they give you those little souvenir bats that were only like 14 inches long? You could easily use them. Actually, that would make a very baseball-themed muddler. Mm-hmm. So, okay, so I've squished the cube. I have added in how how much... Well, one step back, oh, sorry. sorry. We add the bitters before we smash the cube. So mm-hmm. Angostura bitters would be the classic. So the bitters are on the bottom of the glass. Is that the first? What are we I, adding? I like, I like to put the sugar cube in first, and then drip the bitters on top, and then smash it all together. Okay. Not squish. Not squish. Smash. Okay. So cube on the bottom. Uh, is it, so for the bitters? Is this a one dash, two dash, a couple drops? Uh, I mean, traditionally it would be two dashes, but it's really preference. One, two, two dashes. No. Okay. I mean, we're just giving people something to work with. You got to have a base, and then they can experiment. Uh, let's have a little bit of a bitters conversation. So Angostura bitters was really the only one that I knew of, but we've had a bitters explosion, an explosion of bitterness. Um, so what is a bitters? So bitters is a cocktail ingredient, um, that is essentially, uh, infused alcohol. So you use a base alcohol or base spirit and you add your spices and flavors to it. And there is, as you mentioned, a bitters explosion. So there is a bitter for every flavor you could probably ever dream up hmm. uh, yeah kitten whiskers uh i don't know about that but we can try it yeah i mean i think is I mean, that a flavor to you i yeah, you literally sold me a product called dreamy clouds for how long that's true we're still selling it still selling dreamy clouds that's the name of a sake one of my one of my preferred summer sakes by the way um grapefruit bitters lemon bitters orange orange is a pretty popular well, orange one. is very classic yeah so angostura is greek no angostura is is from a caribbean island oh really hmm Interesting. Okay, so one cube, two dashes of bitters, which is a spice sort of neutral grain, whatever. It could be anything, but... Yeah, with Angostura, it's very cinnamony. There's some ginger in there. Mm, yeah. I love spices. Mm. Uh, okay, and then you are smashing with your commemorative baseball bat. Uh, do we excessively smash, a little smash, medium smash? And is there a twist, or do we just pound straight up and down? 
uh, you do a little twist with each smash, okay. but you smash away. So a pound and a twist, mm-hmm. pound and a twist. Okay, that's good. And then we add in our whiskey. Um, so I know that you know in other states you can free pour, but for your classic uh, old fashioned, how much how much whiskey are we using? Uh, in in Utah, we use an ounce and a half. Okay, so an ounce and a half of whiskey. And so then we put that in on our smashed mm-hmm. cube then, with the bitters. Okay. Yep. And then stir it all together. With or without a cube? I like to put the cube in then and stir it up so that it chills as you're stirring. Okay. So your average household, um, let's just talk a little bit about ice here. So your average ho- household isn't probably going to have the large cubes that you would have at a, at a cocktail place, but they'll probably have a, either a standard ice cube tray or perhaps crushed ice. Um for your average home cocktail aficionado who's going to make, well, not aficionado, but a cocktail novice who's going to make something, uh, and let's say they have that setting on their ice cube thing, which would you prefer and why does it matter? Uh, cubed, uh, I would not recommend crushed. Crushed dilutes uh, too quickly. Okay. So you want to stir it so it chills, but you don't, wanna, you don't want it to dilute too quickly so that it waters the drink down. Okay, um, but you guys—I mean, you have art—you have artisanal cubes. We do that. You, do you you hack them with a saw? I hack it with a saw. That, so uh, so every day you go down with literally a large chunk of ice, and you take from that large block of ice. Like think about your those pictures of your grandparents when they had like the ice delivered with the ice tongs, and then you hack it up into you hand hack it up into into artisanal cubes. Yes, I do. That's why you pay. Eighty-seven dollars. No, I'm just kidding. You do not pay eighty-seven dollars, but no, but but I actually let's come back to that. Um, uh, but that surface area means you get it less watered down, but more chilled. Avoid crushed ice. Is there any drinks that a person might make when they would want crushed ice, or is that just uh, a? Yeah, definitely. So like a mint julep would be the uh, classic example of a. If you're watching the Kentucky for... Kentucky Derby. Yep. Okay. And so then you want something because you have these strong flavors of the mint and all that that you need it to to be watered down a little bit more. Correct. Okay. Uh, you're listening to AM 1280, 97.5 FM, The Zone. Um, so I want to talk a little bit um, for our average radio listener who goes anywhere from and gets a gets a you know $6, $7, whatever mixed drink that they get at their local insert. I don't want to throw TGI Fridays or Chili's under the bus, whatever their local place is versus they're coming to a craft cocktail bar, not just yours, but we can say a Water Witch and Undercurrent, various places that are I would call our craft cocktail bars. Um, we talked a little bit about ice, but what is it that you are getting there that makes the difference for people that go and say like, why would I spend $12 on a drink when I can get that same drink for 7 or $8? Because I, I think that's a giant common misconception. Well, I think uh, with a craft cocktail bar, you get generally fresher ingredients. So we juice all of our juices the day of. Um, we are using more artisanal spirits, I think, than than some of the places you mentioned. Uh, the ice. So for us, we, we consider every element that goes into the cocktail, from the glassware we use, the ice, to the spirits, and the ingredients. Okay. And so it makes, I mean, you got fresher stuff. The the spirit itself is going to be you know less watered down or whatever it happens to be, and not only that, but you have a certain option of spirits and all and and those sort of things. Um, so if someone, do you think that an old fashioned is a good transition cocktail? So they've been going to, I mean, I guess it's whatever you want. Like you want a gin and tonic, you want a whatever, anything that someone can order. Well, I shouldn't say anything. If someone wants to transition from that 
where most of their favorite cocktails, whether it's a seven and seven or a gin and tonic or whatever it happens to be, can you help them if they come in and say, Hey, this is our favorite cocktail. And yet here I am at a Japanese Peruvian mixology bar. Can you help them feel comfortable? Uh, most definitely. Yeah. We would love to help them. So one thing we could do for gin and tonic, for example, is we have an assortment of gins, um, craft and artisanal gins. We have gins from Japan. We have gins from all over uh, the U.S. Uh, but then we can also steer them into maybe a Pisco tonic or even a Japanese whiskey tonic. Ooh, I and see, and then you sound fancy at your next party. Uh, so I grew up in Minnesota, and I didn't have a terribly fancy job, and I grew up um, very much in a beer culture. And I remember getting my first job wearing, going and sort of socializing and having to be at a, a cocktail party or something would be a part of my job, and I didn't want to sound crazy. So I worked with my local bartender uh, at a bar in Seattle, and I ended up coming up with a Negroni because I felt like it was something that I liked. It was a little bit on the sweet, the sweeter end of things. But, you know, it had gin and Campari and vermouth. Sweet vermouth. Sweet yeah. vermouth. I mean, things that most pe- bars would have. Maybe the Campari was a little it was a little outside but it was something that you could order where it's like hey you know i've had a cocktail but it wasn't like the the ingredients weren't so crazy that you wouldn't be able to find them in some way shape or form and that was sort of a a gateway to me speaking of gateways and not just the gateway uh, i was really happy with how they did twilight this year rich did you hit up twilight at all uh no i didn't not this year uh well i do remember seeing avery at a Twilight show uh, and was dressed to the nines. Um, so those of you who don't know, we're part of a two-block culture hour. Following us is the Movie Zone with Austin and Adrian, who tell all about uh, whatever the newest movies are. Also, maybe they're still deconstructing the Joker, for all I know. I never know where those... Speaking of Jokers, I never know where those two Jokers are going to go. Uh, but stay with us next, and we'll be talking about movies. And so one of the things that I always like to ask all of our guests every week is to think about a movie that is within the topic of their industry or why they were here. So Rich and Alex, put on your thinking caps and say, if there was a particular movie that was perhaps about food and beverage, it could be the spirit world, it could be the food world, whatever it happens to be. Is there a particular movie that you think of that you're like, oh yeah, this is something that sort of taps into a particular zeitgeist of my industry. Uh, If an if I was thinking of something, I actually think Paul Giamatti and Sideways is an interesting one. I know that's a little bit more wine-focused, but I, I had a good a good chuckle the first time that I saw Sideways. Well, I'd say right off the top of my head, you already mentioned it, Lost in Translation. Mm, yes. You know, the Japanese whiskey connection. Yeah, for a good time, make it Suntory time. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have never been to Japan, but I really... Um, I wish... I tell myself that I would go and I would be brave for everything it is that I would eat, and I would hope that I would. I still think I would need hand-holding sometimes to eat various things, but, you know, I, I've grown quite fond of uni, so, you know, um, which are, what, sea urchin gonads, right? They are, yeah. And, you know, I, I can eat those. I can eat most things. Uh, Alex, speaking of sea urchin gonads, what is a, uh, what is a good food and or Bev-themed movie for you? Uh, I feel like there are a lot of food and drink scenes in the Lord of the Rings, and anytime huh. I'm going to, you know, anytime I have the opportunity to pick that trilogy of movies, I'm going to, and so that's that's where I'm going. 
Okay. Okay. I'm thinking. Uh, I'm thinking about this. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of Gimli when they're talking about going into the mines of Moria, and he's like, "You'll soon get dwarven hospitality, roast meats, malt beer, meat right off the bone." bone. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What else do we have for? Uh, There's a number of drinking songs that oh, are in there. Well, there um, you go. You know, the hobbits are really fond of their ales. Uh, you know, I, I love that radio is quite possibly one of the most solitary industries, and yet you always have this desperate qu- uh, cry for fellowship. Ha! See what I did there? Oh, I love it. All right. So, uh, speaking of jolly good fellows, kind of, I mean, he's a little tall to be a dwarf, but he kind of reminds me he's rotund enough. Anyways, Austin, what do you got that is a movie that reminds you of food and beverage? Yes, thank you. The Movie Zone coming up uh, at the top of the hour. Today we're going to be talking about Zombieland 2 Double Tap, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and Jay and Silent Bob Reboot. Our poll question of the week at Austin Horton at AP Lizer on Twitter if you want to play along. His name is your favorite Woody Harrelson, Angelina Jolie, and or Emma Stone roles and or movies at Austin Horton, at AP Lizer. As for your question of the day here, the movies about food or involving food to immediately come to mind. Uh, in fact, uh, maybe three. No, just two. The other one's not. That's too much of a stretch. But the two that come to mind is, first and foremost, one of my favorite irreverent comedies of all time. Uh, not Didn't get the best critic reviews or scores, but the audience's and uh, really liked it. It's called Waiting. Uh, it's got Ryan Reynolds, Anna Ferris, Justin Long, uh, Dane Cook is in that. Uh, Luis Guzman is. It's essentially if you, in fact, if you've ever worked uh, a waitress or waiter job, or in the, uh, as a cook or a dishwasher in, in the restaurant industry or hospitality industry, this is the movie for you. It is so funny. And it, it is rated, uh, uh, actually, I don't know what it is. It's, it's either PG-13 or, or R. Sorry, Mom. But uh, you know, 7 out of 10 at imdb.com, waiting. It is hilarious. And then the other one, one of my favorites as a child. I remember when I ha- took my friends to see this movie for my birthday. I think I was probably 11 or 12. Good Burger. Keenan and Kel working at a good burger fast food place. It is so stupid, but it means uh, it's sentimental to me. So Good Burger, 1997, of course. There you go. Good Burger, Waiting, those have to do with food. But uh, as for the movie zone, it's coming up at the top of the hour. Make sure you join us each and every Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. Thanks, guys. Uh, you're listening to AM 1280, 97.5 FM The Zone. Uh, with us today is Rich Romney, the general manager of Post Office Place and uh, former manager. Are you still a manager of Takashi? I am still currently the general manager of Takashi. Well, so you're a general manager of two places. You're a two-star general. I'll take that. I mean, I've, if I was handing out Michelin stars, you'd be a six-star general. I appreciate that. Oh, look at that. <laughs> look at I mean, You'd be the general of the, of the army of Salt Lake culinary stuff i'll keep rolling on this um so we've been talking about food and bed we've been talking a lot about you know having a, a pickle party if you uh don't know what we're talking about go back and re-listen to our show online and you can figure out uh alex how alex and millennials would throw a pickle party uh we're talking about a good old-fashioned recipe so if you're thinking about a good spirit to head into this cold season um so rich any uh, any last things we're sort of going into our our last segment 
Um, and I will wrap it up. I've got sort of a three-minute chunk that I do for all of our guests, but uh, you've been gracious enough to be down here. Is there any last things that you want people to know, either about Post Office Place, Takashi, yourself, being experimental with food and beverages, being open to trying new things that you would love to just say, hey, you know, I've got a microphone, and I really want people in the greater Salt Lake Metroplex to think about this when they're thinking about um, dining, whether it's in or out. Uh, well, I would love to invite anybody down to our restaurants, uh, and they're great places to try new things. Mm-hmm. That's one of the things we specialize in. Um, and then if you've been to Post Office Place or you haven't been, keep an eye on us. We have uh, a lot of transitions coming with our menu, uh, as we mentioned before, transi- transitioning into the winter months. And I know that there's some new sakes coming out, so whether you're Dreamy Clouds, uh, no, uh, Sunflower's gone, Whale's gone, we've got some new stuff coming on that's a little bit more seasonally for it i say we as if i have some sort of thing other than just being a regular as a person who spends a lot of money there that's part of my we okay so the last segment is something that i do every show and it's called uh utah sucks at marketing salt lake city um so one of the things that i think of is that our state does a good job of promoting utah and the salt lake international airport as a place you fly into and then you leave as swiftly as possible to go to a national park or perhaps to a ski area Um, and i think that's sort of our national marketing strategy for utah and i say that the greater salt lake metroplex is a cool cultural destination and i think people should come to salt lake city and just experience the culture and so i always ask every one of our guests um to say like let's say you had a cousin coming in from wherever georgia or hawaii or i mean peru it doesn't really matter you have a cousin coming in from out of town and you're playing concierge so you're going to give them a day to two days of just taking advantage of the culture of the of the sort of greater salt lake area you know you can't send them to a national park or any of that we, we can't go skiing um, but just sort of walk me from coffee to nightcap through some of the things that just make Salt Lake City such a cool cultural destination that, that people just got to come here and experience it because we're proud of whatever that is. Well, I think you're right. We have a lot of talented people here and a lot of culture to offer. So I would I would head to Blue Copper is one of my favorite coffee mm. places or the Rose Establishment. Okay, Blue Copper, that's on 900 South and 200 West. There's also one on 400 West and uh, 400 North, give or take. There's two locations. Rose Establishment is on 400 West and 300? Pierpont. In, West in between Pier- 300 and Pierpont. Pierpont. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of the things that's, I, I love the coffee at Blue Copper, but man, I love the pastries at Rose Establishment. That quiche, mm-hmm. ooh, every day. Anyway. Uh, and then I would head up and maybe grab a smoothie at Brass Smoothies, one of my favorite places. Ooh, where's that? I've never even, I don't know Brass Smoothies. It is in the 9th and 9th area. Mm. Mm. Nice. Great place. Uh, one of our favorite places for brunch would be Manoli's. Mm, good classic Greek restaurant. Greek. So brunch or dinner. Yeah, one you're, of my favorite all-time restaurants. You're here. hitting the 900 South slash Harvey Milk Boulevard corridor. I am, yeah. You know, the uh, the nine line, as we're, we might call it. Mm-hmm. Nice. Uh, and then, of course, I would finish them at Takashi and Post Office Place. Well, you are yeah, certainly... I'm a little uh, biased. You're a little but, biased. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, what about, um, you know, we got some theater, we got some museums, we got some other things, uh, we got some cinema. What, what might be some of the things that you, uh, you would have them do to fill some, when they're not stuffing things into their, into their face, unless that is part of the interactive theater, which you could get at, you know, Salt Lake Acting Company or SB Dance. But Well, you named two of my favorite things, Salt Lake Acting Company and SB Dance. I would also maybe take them to a show, take them to a show at Urban Lounge, mm. local music venue. Mm-hmm. 
Um, if the Twilight concerts were going on, I would definitely hit one of those. Um, and then, yeah, and we have museums all over the valley. Mm-hmm. Great places to go. And, of course, Temple Square. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I, I did not grow up LDS, uh, but I do. Every time people come from out of town, I always take them to Temple Square and the Visitor Center. I mean, the gardens, mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, the architecture, I mean, it's so diverse, well, you know, whether it's the temple or the tabernacle. Uh, it is always fun to take people to the Visitor Center just for the history of the LDS Church because it was such an important part of the valley. And Space Jesus is incredible and has to be seen. Mm-hmm. All right, Rich. Well, I have a feeling that it is uh, 5 o'clock for us on a Thursday, so I have a feeling that we might be headed to post office place. Uh, so I know it's Sunday and you're closed today, but you, uh, I encourage all of our listeners to come check it out, that and Takashi. Uh, try to make to have a pickling party. Um, make an old-fashioned in your house. Uh, Rich Romney, thank you so much for being here. Alex, thank you so much for producing. Christy, thank you for calling in with your uh, music do's and don'ts. Austin, yeah... You're here, but stay tuned for The Movie Zone next with Austin and Adrian here on AM 1280 and 97.5 FM The Zone. Talk to you next week.